Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. The storytelling show that features The Clearing, where all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common. They're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors. A clearing, a tree, a juicy storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and a cake. So it's all to play for. So yes, welcome to the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we shall begin. Oh, yes, indeed. As always, I give my little head a count of four to avoid me editing this later. Welcome, welcome, thrice welcome to an extremely talented multi-instrumentalist, super talented pants that is Mr. Ronell Shaw, who is an Ivor Novello award-winning composer, songwriter and music producer. Welcome, Ronell. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for having me. And just to position and blow a bit of happy smoke at you, you were past the golden baton to be here by the lovely Dan Tsu, who's been a previous illustrious guest of mine. And of course, Dan Tsu is a, um, an award-winning uh, curator of, uh, well, it's Lyrics Organics and also the uh, Rum Shack Glastonbury venue as well. And he um, was really intrigued to pass the baton on to you because he was um, really, well, he really wanted to hear your story. And part of your story is the Ivan Novello award-winning um, prize that you got for the Windrush suite, which we'll obviously talk more about. But anyway, welcome. How's morale? What's your story of the day, kind sir? How's morale? What's my story of the day? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm happy. I'm making music. I'm writing. I... I had a great walk this morning, so I'm very much in my headspace of what is, I guess, what story is going to uncover for me for the day is how I kind of think about it. Lovely. So is, is it a daily walk and a routine where you clear your head and get stuck into the rhythm of the day through a walk? Absolutely. I kind of prepare myself with the, I guess, the tools, which is, hey, I woke up today. <laughs> that's a that's a healthy start for me. And then um, I have things I have to do throughout the day, like, you know, admin stuff, compositions, bits and pieces. But before that even steps into my psyche, it's just taking a walk and just being present, I guess. Yes. But really evaluating just the day-to-day things like I am I have a park that's local that I can spend some time in. I have um, friends who I can communicate with. I have good relationships. And for me, those things are what allow the music and the art to express itself as authentically as I like it to. And I know that the Windrush Suite is going to be a trilogy. So my question to you is, have you finished the third piece yet? Which I think is, it's griot, which is a new word that I've learned by researching you. Have I pronounced that correctly? Um, yeah, griot, griot. Griot. Yeah, the T is silent. Um, yep. Some people might say differently, but um, the third piece I haven't begun. It's so strange. I've tried a few times. And again, I think the music reveals itself to me rather than me saying this is what the music is going to be. So with the Windrush Suite, I wrote that in 2020, and I wrote that without it having the impact and the gravitas that it had. It was just a piece of music. Yes. And then I guess the response people um, had to it 
gave it more public weight, I would say more so, because the music is still, it still feels the same to me. But then I wrote the second piece, Echo in the Bones. And then when I tried to find a space for the third one beyond the title Grio, I, it didn't feel right. So I just stopped and I just said, similar to my walks, the musical revealed itself to me at the right time. So I will, I will make space for that to happen rather than try and force the hand. I love the fact that it's going to be emergent. It will emerge when it emerges, when the time is right, which is a lovely insight into your process as a composer and a musician, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I wouldn't say I've been like that all my life. I've definitely tried to make things happen, especially the younger, my younger self. Yes. Um, but I've learned that it, life just doesn't work that way. Yes. So, you know, you have to find a healthy balance of knowing when to expect more of yourself and when to recognize that expectations could be causing unnecessary suffering because yes. you believe it should be this way and you can't even see what's trying to offer itself to you. So, um, yeah, it's a, it, it's definitely a way of thinking and being that has uh, amplified itself over the last two and a half years. Um, and I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it because the work is coming. The creative evolution is consistent. And all I have to do is be, is get up and start my day with a walk. <laughs> and I guess the rest on. So, yeah. By the way, that's a lovely full circle to what we've just been discussing. There you are back in your walk, which clears your head and gets you ready to come into the clearing, which is where I've, uh, it's my great joy and delight to invite you here today. Um, you, you do some extraordinary collaborations musically and you're, you're also a multi-instrumentalist. So just talk us through the, the, the instruments you play Wow. Okay. Um, so the first instrument I ever played was a trumpet. My granddad was a trumpet player and big fan of Louis Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie um, specifically. So it was the horn. Um, I wasn't a fan of it because I just wasn't a fan of practicing as a seven or eight year old. I just wanted to play. Scales and rudiments was not a thing for me. So I didn't really get into music until I was about 13 and I picked up the guitar. Um, my mum bought me a Carlos Santana CD. Oh, I was gosh. just, this is what I want to do. I want to play guitar. I want to be like this person. And, and also, uh, listening to the Fugees, Wycliffe Jean was a big, um, influence on my playing as a guitarist because he was rapping and using live instrumentation in hip hop. And I hadn't heard that before. So those two really made me gravitate towards playing guitar um and just then, to say what a cool first album to be given the Carlos Santana one how fantastic yeah yeah it was very influential on not just how I saw guitar but how I saw collaboration because the first Santana album I actually heard was Supernatural which has a plethora of amazing artists on it Lauren Hill being one of them who I'm a big fan of and that was when I realized this is how I want to do things I want to collaborate with with other creatives to not only see the best of myself but allow them to see the best of them yes. it's not that this is me and this is how I want it it's this is what I can do but what you bring offers a perspective that allows me to look at art from a different you know yes. space and that collaboration continued and I met really I made really good friends with musicians I worked with and most of them were better guitarists than me so I became a bass player and um <laughs> <laughs> story. And um, but then what I really recognized was I resonated more with playing bass than any other instrument. And I think that stems from uh 
Caribbean heritage and sound system culture. And my dad was a sound engineer. So um, he was around in the times of jungle, drum and bass, you know, when they were really young and really early. My mom was around when the whole Funky Dread and Soul to Soul thing was happening. She's also a big roots and reggae um, fan. So sound system and bass is such a glue to those genres. So when I started playing bass, it was like, it was like I found my Excalibur. I was like, this is my sword and this is who I am. And I just kept moving forward. Eventually picked up some piano when I got into composing, played a bit of flute, a bit of cello, but bass is my nucleus and everything stems from that. Oh, can I just congratulate you for the beauty of I found my Excalibur. I like you, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, your mother also speaks, um, forgive my pronunciation, is it Bacchanal, which is the uh, um, original language? No, so Bacchanal is, uh, it's, it's another word for like carnival or celebration. It's a type of celebration. So my mum was born here, um, first generation Black British of Jamaican heritage. And Bacchanal is, is, is a type of festival or celebration. Um, the word is used in the Caribbean, so whether it's patois or Caribbean pigeon, however you want to call yeah. the, the articulation of the language, that word ref re represents that kind of style of, of um, dance and jump up and just kind of really being able to let loose and be, be free. And of course, the whole Windrush suite is celebrating the heritage of the pioneering voices of Windrush. And going back to your own heritage, of course, that began 1948 when West Indians were arriving in the UK. And I, there was a really lovely quote where you said, if I start a conversation with my grandparents, they'll finish it because they love to tell their stories. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So the Windrush was such an I mean, it, 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 I listened, I watched the video, the vision they had, and it's just beautiful so I congratulate you and um, I mean how did it come about that you got the Ivor Novello because presumably you didn't write it knowing that I'm going to put this forward for an award it's just an, an amazing accolade yeah I mean originally the Windrush suite was supposed to be a commission for live performance so I was commissioned I think about a month or two before lockdown happened and then when it did it was basically myself uh Kathy Ann, who runs a lot of the, Kathy Ann Hingwan, who runs a lot of the um, events at the Vortex Jazz Club in Dalston, we discussed how can we do this? And I said, I'd love to do it online and turn it into a body of work. So I was just writing music. I was writing music that reflected the stories that I knew because the Windrush generation and their stories aren't, they're not an external observation of a culture that I don't know. They're regular conversations in the house at dinner time or Christmas that are so I wanted to offer that perspective from the inside out rather than from the outside in and I guess from there onwards you know I, I believe when it comes to art that people resonate with truth so whatever they felt was authentic within the work I guess the judges felt like this is a piece that you know is authentic in its space I know it won from the jazz category um, of the Ivers. I feel like it's been placed in there because the freedoms that jazz offer are more open to perspective, even though there is still structure and form. But for me, I don't even call it a jazz piece. I kind of just call my music sonic anthropological studies, if I was going to be contentious about it. But it's just music, really. 
By the so, way, I love your eloquence about how you describe your craft. It's beautiful. It really is fantastic. You've, you've come up with so many lyrical expressions as we've been speaking, which is a bit uh, jazzy of itself. And I congratulate you for that. Um, so if I may, then let's bring you in. It's my great delight to have you in this curated structure of the Good Listening To Show, Stories of Distinction and Genius. And I'm going to welcome you to a clearing. We're going to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. There's going to be a couple of random squirrels, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare, a golden baton and a cake. And a, it's all to play for. So let's get you on the open road of this structure now. So um, thank you for also saying that you brought some music along, which we'll talk about in a while too. So uh, let's get there. What is, where is a clearing for you, Ronell Shaw, uh, Ivan Novello, award-winning uh, instrumentalist, musician, composer, super talented pants. Where do you go to get clutter-free and inspirational? Where is your clearing? Any space that's quiet, if I'm honest, any space where there's nature. So to be specific, I live in East London. Epping Forest is pretty much my back garden, which is a really beautiful space to just go and sit and think and allow ideas to form. I always have my phone with me more so to write notes than to be doing anything else. And that is my clearing space. It has been, those kind of spaces have been since I was a child. When I was much younger, I lived in North London near Alexandra Palace, which is another similar open green space. So I would say that my clearing is definitely open green spaces. Beautiful. Now, if I may, I'm going to arrive with a tree in your clearing to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. So this is where you've uh, been kind enough to have thought about your responses to the exercise 54321, where it's where you've had five minutes or as long as you've needed before we chat to have thought about four things that have shaped you three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention, that's where the squirrels come in, oh, squirrels, and then a quirky or unusual fact about you, and there could be squirrels in Epping Forest, I get that, um, and then the one or quirky or unusual fact about you, we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. So over to you to interpret the shaking of your canopy as you see fit. Okay, I'll do my best to remember the order. So four things that have shaped me. Um, Theatre has been a massive part of shaping me. I, from about 13, 14 years old, I grew up doing the education programs at the Hackney Empire. And what that done for me was it opened up my idea of the narrative arc beyond just being a song. It, it showed me how songs can amplify uh, drama scenes or how songs can collaborate with movement and dance. Um, and it really made me look at the idea of the importance of narrative structure within music that really helped shape me as I became a well-known songwriter and composer. It helped me look for the narrative within whoever, whatever project I was working on or whatever artist I was in the studio with. So theater plays a big part. I would say martial arts is something else that has shaped me. My godfather is a martial arts teacher and I've been studying with him since I was about eight, nine years old. And what I love about that is it taught me to rely on myself and how to find, how to form and shape the best version of myself at the time until I can create a better version, which is what I do with my music is I, I do the best I can with what I know. And this is me kind of paraphrasing a Maya Angelou quote. And when I know better, I do better. So I have heavily been shaped by that. Um, and what's the martial art that he teaches and that you do? So my uncle teaches Wing Chun, which is a form of uh, boxing. Yeah. And also Tai Chi. 
So what I'm fortunate to have is both the hard and soft styles of martial arts, which I feel like allows me to acquire a space of balance. And that's really shaped me. That's really shaped how I think about music, how I think about the people I'm working with and what space I need to occupy to allow the art to present the best version of itself. There's a fluency in flow, which is implicit in what you're saying. So fluency flow physically and musically makes real sense in what you're disclosing here. Yeah, precisely. Because one thing martial arts teaches you very quickly is if you don't adjust, then you will get punched in the mouth. So, (laughs) and and you can take that literally or metaphorically. It's a great life philosophy, adjust or you'll get punched in the mouth. I love that. (laughs) Pretty much. So either learn how to block a punch or just move out the way. And um, that's how I feel when I'm in the studio a lot of the time is there can be a lot of energies and a lot of creative ideas and even egos in the room. So what I ask myself is what's needed? I may be able to do all of these things, but do I need to offer all of it? If the songwriter has great lyrics, work on melodies. If they have great melodies, help write form and structure for you know lyrics. Um, and martial arts has really helped shape that uh, because you are consistently adjusting. And no matter how much you think you know, um, everyone has an idea until they get punched in the mouth, as Mike Tyson says. So <laughs> you learn very quickly how to um, be present. I think that's what martial arts help shape. Uh, Additionally to that, my mentors, I've been very fortunate to have professionals who are, who are further down the path of, you know, a similar path that I'd be stepping on, who can help, who help, who have helped me see what I could potentially become. So my mentor, Orphie Robinson, uh, Cleveland Watkiss, these are like prolific jazz musicians and composers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Susie McKenna is a great director. I've seen their lives and been able to ask people questions who are living what I wish to live. And I think tuition is so important, Um, whether that's in the institutions or through apprenticeships or however you acquire that. I think as humans, we should offer knowledge but we should also we should also offer knowledge that can be applied so that the individual can find their own their own making of that of that golden nugget that's given. So my there's, mental- a, there's a delightful humility in what you're describing as well, and the desire to play it forward and never be smug or self satisfied. Always be open to and receptive to new learning. Absolutely, because there's always somebody either better or different, or you know, or, or curious or inspired by what you're doing or trying to do. So it's it's knowing that what I'm doing is good enough for who I am right now and it can but it can always be better. But not to be um caught up in the spiral of only seeking better, like betterness, whatever you for the sake of just consuming. It's like, well what am I trying to do with this? So the goal is not material possession, it's more about a a sense of presence and being. Absolutely. it's self-actualization, I think. I look at it as self-actualization and seeing myself through my own art and going, oh, I thought it was this, but it's that. Okay, cool. What next? So, um, yeah, mentorship, martial arts. Um, oh, a theatre. And my fourth thing is definitely, ooh, that shaped me, is I'd say it has to be my mum, specifically my mum because my mum has seen everything that I've become 
long before I became it. Even when I was saying, no, 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 it should be this, it should be that. And then 10 years later, I've come around to what she was saying I should have done ages ago. But she never discouraged the path I took to get to where I needed to. Um, and actually just knowing that someone loves you so much um, to trust, how do I say it? To trust in your own method, you know, that has been, that has been such a such a revelation for me the older I've got is that my my mom could have said no you're doing this and you're doing it that way and enough is enough but she would always be like well no give it a go see what happens or again as my granddad would say and my mom like as long as you have a plan I don't mind and I think those tools have really helped shape how I choose to have my career go forward rather than feeling like I am um I am I am within the constructs of how the industry should work or art should work. And it's allowed me to have a commercial music career and a strong theater career in parallels rather than just one or the other. Um, and my mom has helped with that because she has believed in me long before I believed in myself. And it's only as I began to believe in myself that I recognized, I know this emotion, but it was because it was already given to me from my mom. So those are my four, definitely. That's the most beautiful testimony to your mother. And, and if you don't mind me asking, you've spoken about your father in the past tense. Is he still with us as well? Yes, my father is. Uh, I say in the past tense because he lives in the Caribbean now. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, I don't see him as regularly as I used to. But we talk every day. Um, we message on WhatsApp. He sends me songs. I send him songs. Um, he's a big fan of music. And he's very aware of everything I'm doing. If I'm on stage touring, sometimes I get the phone out. Send him a thing. Look, Dad, here we go again. 80,000 people. Um, oh, how wonderful. Yeah. And you have had some extraordinary collaborations. I mean, you know, I'm, I'll name drop for you, but people like Niall Rogers, Jess Glynn, Skepta, Carleen Anderson, and, 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 and. There's just some really wonderful sort of sumptuous collaborations that you've been involved in. And because of your flow state, I completely get why people would be drawn to the sense of somebody who's in flow. It's a very attractive proposition to be so in flow that people think I can I can fly alongside. I think it's just about for me, it's just about encouraging people to be their best selves as well. So I never know. I, I try my best to not have expectation. I mean, we all have some expectation, you know, or else we just walk out into the road and assume we wouldn't be hit by cars. But um, I think the collaboration is has has they've come from spaces where um, I've been able to just be myself in, and I guess others have too. So even like with some of the names you mentioned, like Niall Rogers was a an Abbey Road studio with an Abbey Road session with Rudimental, and I was fortunate to be in the room at the right time and see one of my heroes. Um, the Skepta collaboration was actually a part of an education project that he was doing with Levi's. And I was like, this is insane. Like, I love this guy. And here we are working on, here I am working with him on a project that's actually gonna shape the next generation of artists to come. You know, Jess Glynn, I didn't even know, Jess Glynn wasn't the Jess Glynn we know now when I was working on um, some of the records playing bass, it was just a session to me. And then it's like, oh, I know that song. Why do I know that song? Oh, I played on it while I'm hearing it on the radio. I was like, ooh, that's that's that one. Oh, okay, cool. So again, it is that free flow state that has allowed me. I love Jess Glynn's voice. So that was really resonant for me when I read, uh, of all the names, and and that one was fantastic too. Mm -hmm. um, 
we're into three things that inspire you now if there's any overlap don't worry because you're you're giving me inspiration by the bucket load anyway but what about three things that inspire you Renell? three things that inspire me um first thing is a person which is quincy jones uh quincy jones is easily my single most biggest inspiration um uh equally i say easily but also equally to my mentor Rafael robinson who for me is our uk's quincy jones but what quincy has done in a day most people don't do in a lifetime that's a regular quote and what that really showed me was the ability of the human creative like you can do more than you think you can and i think my schooling made me believe one thing but then discovering this composer producer musician who had done so much it made me believe well why can't i do that too and my introduction to quincy jones wasn't even through music it was through his autobiography my mum would always take my sister and i to um, a bookshop in wood green every weekend and the rule was you can buy one book and your hot chocolate and your cookie and we sit here for three hours and you read and you have your thing and I just remember seeing this book of a uh, just a black guy on the front in a really dapper looking waistcoat and red shirt and I was like I want to be like him I want that book no idea who he was um, and then I started reading this life of this man who had done things that I didn't know were possible so that inspired me to to be to stay limitless I think is how I would put it yeah Quincy Jones definitely have you met him in your career so far I have I haven't met him on a one-to-one space but I have I went to a talk at the Royal School of Music the Royal Academy of Music I think it is um where he was doing a he'd done a one-hour talk and then he there was a one-hour live performance of his work and I was sitting about 20 meters from him and I think it's the only time in my life that I've seen someone of celebrity status and I was too scared to go up and talk to them. Oh. I just kind of stared from a distance like a um, non-stalky stalker. But um, <laughs> I, I was that. it was like a bucket list. I was like Quincy Jones, seen the man, heard him speak, heard his work, happy with that. So yeah, Quincy, big inspiration. Um, Alongside that, I think just playing music, I find, is an inspiration in itself. Like, I've learned that it's so easy to seek externally for things when sometimes being alone and just sitting with just a guitar or just around a piano inspires, like, a wealth of ideas that have been, like, a collection of data throughout the day or the weeks that I didn't even know was in my psyche. So sometimes just sitting by myself to play and see what what kind of unfolds that is that is a big inspirational tool for me i i don't get to use it as much as i like to at the moment but that's because i'm i have a lot of commissions and things going on so there are very clear directions but i find my best work the work that i'm i'm most emotionally connected to has come through being able to sit by myself with an instrument as it was when i was 13 picking up a guitar and just trying to play uh carlos and uh, carlos santana tune really badly um shouts downstairs well done but that that has always been inspiring to me hearing the sound start to sound like something in my head um and i think that is because what it keeps reinforcing is that 
there are really cool ideas in here. You've just got to figure them out and sit with them for a minute and they will unfold. But that is the process of being okay with not knowing what will unfold. And I've learned to be inspired by that. I've sometimes heard it couched as um, of finding your inner genius or listening to your inner genius, the version of you that's totally in flow and knows exactly what to do and where to search. Precisely that. I, I totally believe in that. I believe that we all have um, forms of genius and you have to figure out what is your what what does your genius respond to? And it seems that mine is solitude. You know, it's just like chilling by myself with an instrument of some sort. I always go to the guitar or the piano, but um, sometimes it's the bass. Sometimes it's just something that can create something. Yes. So, yeah, solitude and creative instruments inspire me. Big and time. You, you've mentioned Epping Forest as being the metaphorical or literal clearing, but I don't imagine you as being a wandering minstrel with a guitar through the trees. <laughs> no, that's definitely not me. By <laughs> a long shot, I'm not, not even close. I like to be in spaces where I can kind of lock up lock off away so yes. like where I am now my studio I can just sit in here the curtains close the lava lamp goes on and yeah I can just work so I love that um my third source of inspiration I would say ooh, funnily enough is the opposite is conversation I really enjoy good conversation with um other other individuals who just have unique perspectives I feel like there's that you will never know everything while you're like as you go through this world. But if you choose, if you choose your book, choose your books and choose your people wisely, you can have a really interesting perspective of the world. And I think um, I love reading. So I think my kind of insatiable yearning for more knowledge like spills out over the books into conversations with people. And, and I, I love how sorry to interrupt you, how that's so rooted in your mother's uh daily quest sorry weekly quest to take you to the bookshop the three of you <laughs> yeah do you know what i never connected the dots but yeah reading was never a chore it was always a luxury so that continues and i guess when i read books i hear the ideas of people who i've never met and i'm taken to worlds that i've never been to or countries i've never been to so then when i meet people who i find are fascinating i just love speaking with them and sometimes that forms into music. Most of the times that forms into great relationships, which for me is so important because we are social creatures. And when I make art, um, I make it not just for myself, but for others to interpret and respond to in whatever way works best for them. So conversation is so important for me. And I've been listening out as we've gone through, by the way, about where to naturally segue in a piece of music. So with your permission, round about here, what's the piece of music that you'd like to introduce to the clearing? Ah, that's an interesting one. I was thinking there's a piece from the Windrush Suite. Um, no, a piece from Echo in the Bones, the second suite called uh, This Mind Knows. And I love that piece because it's a mixture of poetry and there's not much singing in it the musicians get to take solos and we're playing in an odd time signature instead of just a standard four beats per bar kind of thing we're playing in 11 8 which my thing is i love odd things sounding natural and i like to look at myself as an odd thing so you know i'm always searching for the naturalisms within it all so this mind knows from echo in the bones Thank you. 
This body carries love. This body carries pain. These eyes see the future. This blood knows the past. This hair knows pride. These hands know work. This skin knows heat. These feet know roads. This voice is loud. This chest is proud. These shoulders know weight. This mind knows. To be continued. I'm so, so sorry to cut it off there, but uh, now I think we're at two things that never fail to grab your attention, which is more uh, squirrels, you know, which could be bouncing about in Epping Forest. But um, what are the two monsters of distraction things, your two squirrels that never fail to, to distract you? Oh, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube. I just, again, because the, the things I can find on there, I could start like, oh my gosh, what was I looking at this morning? I started reading about i've been reading about uh, um, ikigai which is um i actually have the book right here the japanese secret to a long and happy life ah yes great book yes, yes yes yeah so i've read it a few times and this is my third time reading it actually because i remember reading somewhere that it's epicentric you... isn't it it's that segue between what the world needs what you desire and what you can get paid for is your sweet spot of your ikigai exactly that and i guess every time i read it i uncover more of myself in the book because I'm growing. So I was doing some YouTube stuff on that. And then I ended up reading about, and then I ended up listening to um, Noam Chomsky talking about the school system. Whoa, you're going down a much healthier rabbit hole of YouTube than most people I'd say. That was, that, that that's pretty impressive to go from Ikigai to Chomsky. Go you. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's not me, it's the algorithms. They're like, hey, what do you think of Chomsky? I'm like, I don't know, let's see. Well, most uh, of us go to Planet Wibble, as in what the heck am I looking at that for? <laughs> That's great. So no, that, was a big, that is a big distraction for me. Um, um, a good one, I guess. 
Well, I do, I do find that I can lift my head up after looking at my phone or my laptop and it's nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All that, and I have all of these things that I want to talk to people about, but I need to go to sleep and my wife doesn't want to hear it. So, um, because she's always having to hear it. So that can be a bit of a distraction. It's a, it's a great thing to have, but I think one thing that is important to me is balance. Yes. And I think I could spend a little less time down the rabbit holes of knowledge and actually a little more time applying the, the knowledge. So, and yeah. I know by the way that the Windrush was also a dream collaboration because your wife supplied you the dancers for the vision they had. Uh, I, I'm not saying she supplied them, but she she reached out. Yeah. <laughs> She's not yeah, a dancer yeah. supplier. Uh, my, my wife is a theatre performer and choreographer, yeah. and they're all friends that she knows from like the theatre industry. Yes. She also she also sang, played percussion, and danced on the Windrush Suite as a tap dancer. So the last piece is myself playing bass and my drummer on cymbals and then my wife tap dancing through it which is always something I've wanted to do so is that another piece of music we could have as well oh absolutely and what's that one called um I should really know the names to my songs I can't remember it's the fourth suite it's um what did I call it it's not called I think it's called purgatory yeah purgatory it sounds anything but purgatory, the idea of you living the dream of playing bass while your wife tap dances. That's fantastic. Well, I guess, yeah, the creation is absolutely how I'd love it. The concept and I think the context of the piece is more purgatory based, but it's a beautiful piece. And again, yeah, that is a that would be a great piece to play because it it is a true reflection of how I see art and music is why can't you have a dancer on your records? And, you know and taking care of the most important part of the music for me as a bass player, which is the rhythm. So that was a great opportunity for myself and her to, to conversate artistically on a record. You've just made me think of Tiny Dancer by Elton John. He's not been on my show yet. <laughs> I should finish that anyway. Oh, we'll find a way. <laughs> It was very, very hard in the 60s for black families who were then primarily Caribbean to get anywhere to live. And they ended up in the worst accommodation and the most expensive accommodation. Back in those days, there perhaps wasn't enough infrastructure in the community to to have uh, organised childminders, so they'd end up leaving their children white childminders, and then pick the child up at the end of the day and find that the baby's nappy hadn't been changed all day, the child hadn't been fed properly all day, or even worse, the child had been abused. So a number of parents actually took to sending their children back home to the Caribbean, and that's what my parents did. The art that had raised me in Barbados was a teacher. I was a bright child. She raised me with extra tuition at home. And I had a kind of glowing reference from the head teacher of my school in Barbados. But the first thing they did when I got to school in England, despite what I came with, was to put me in 
what was colloquially known back then as the dunces class. But it was all about that, you know, making that immediate assumption. Black person from black country, well, got to be below our standards. So um, was that your two squirrels of distraction? It's YouTube and then we put some music in or was there a second squirrel? Oh, the second squirrel I would definitely say is, ooh, I think sometimes I just get in my own way, if I'm really honest. I can be my own distraction because it's very easy to create an idea of the world um, separately from the reality or the truth of the world. So the walks, like I said, uh, meditation, martial arts, doing things like that kind of help me get out of my own way. But I would say YouTube and myself are, are definitely my two biggest distractions. You're your own, you're your own worst squirrel. I like that. Me too. <laughs> and now a quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us, Ronell. I did not want to do music as a profession. I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. Wow. That was my thing. I love, I love drawing. I love comic books. I love how they amplify the imagination. And if I didn't get that Carlos Santana CD, I would definitely be in a studio somewhere, like making comics, or, or even maybe as the world has progressed, pro progressed, doing more CGI based things. But I love that the idea of comic books makes visualization limitless, you know, because as much as film can do what it does, it can only go so far depending on budget. Whereas with drawing and art, it's only limited by the imagination. So I would have definitely been a comic book illustrator. And because of combining both worlds, I'm not saying any of your work is like this, but it, it, it's made me think of Looney Tunes, as in <laughs> quirkiness. That's where the worlds of music and animation can happily collide or collaborate. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a very visual person. So even though I'm not a comic book illustrator, and, and I'd probably be a terrible one now because I haven't drawn for so long, um, my music is very visual. Everything I write, I can see. And when I offer it to an audience, it's, it, it's, it's for their experience to be able to take a sonic space and create a visual one for themselves. Beautiful. We've shaken your tree, hurrah. Now we stay in the clearing, move away from the tree. And next we talk about alchemy and gold. When you're at purpose and in flow, Ronell, what are you absolutely happiest doing? When I'm at purpose and in flow, I am happiest. Ooh, that's such an interesting one. I think, I think just playing music with other musicians. Um, because there is a there is a mutual understanding when we all kind of kind of harmonize on a similar kind of frequency of flow that feels so feels so i'm trying to find the right word so much bigger than just the music i feel like not using words opens up space for so much more truth in language i feel like sometimes the truth is hidden from words so when in a space of flow and able to play with other musicians and able to express myself artistically in that way sometimes what is revealed to me is as um, elating as maybe those who are listening or a part of that kind of sonic space being created. So I am happiest playing music with other people who enjoy playing music. I really am. And actually alongside that, sparring, martial arts, like I really enjoy 
when my uncle and I would train and go through some of the Wing Chun sticky hands, we call Chi Sao, but also the Tai Chi um, sparring because I'm able to see the best of myself in that moment. And that's always nice because there's no assumptions whether I'm this good or that good. It's here I am right now and here's what's being said. And oh my gosh, this is who I am. Even if it's just for a moment, it's nice to kind of have an understanding of yourself for a fraction of time. And the hard thing is to not then spend the rest of your life trying to pursue that moment. It's to be okay with that moment of flow and able to go, that was a great session with those musicians or that was a great sparring session. And man, I'm glad I'm able to do that and be okay with that being a moment. So those beautifully eloquent answer the true jazz state in all its forms it's very relatable i'm in comedy improvisation quite a lot and there are moments that are just utterly unique and sublime never to be repeated but they're perfect yeah yeah you know that flow it's like it's you know you, you said something and the audience really get where your head's at and it just opens up all of these other things that you now know you can use whether it be yeah comedy or music or martial arts and I think those are the best moments. I think I've learned that peace is a process and the process is being present, you know? So yeah, I, I really respect those moments. And I think respect is the right word because it stops me trying to repeat them. I think that's when it goes from joy to like a desire and then it becomes more consumerist rather than um, trusting yourself. Beautifully put. I'm just allowing a bit of happy silence there. And now I'm going to award you with a cake. Hurrah. Yeah. So you get to put a cherry on the cake. And this is the, the last multi-layered uh, storytelling scape of um, what's a favourite inspirational quote? You mentioned Maya Angelou. It doesn't have to be her, but it could be. So what's a favourite inspirational quote that's always given you sucker and pulled you towards your future? Oh, that's easy. Um, I got it tattooed on my arm. Um, it's Einstein. And he says, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. Boomtastic. Yeah. I love the fact it's tattooed on your arm as well. Not everyone has Einstein tattooed on their arm. That's fantastic. Just say the quote one more time, just to let it hang there. It's beautiful. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. So said Ronell Shaw and Einstein uh, slightly before then. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given, Ronell? You will come into your own when you get to your 30s. And that was said to me by a phenomenal singer and music musical theatre performer, Sharon D. Clark. Um, I was 21 and I told her that it's all over. My life is pretty much done. Uh, it's too late, I'm too old to do music. And she just took me aside and said, darling, you won't come into your own until you reach your 30s. Take time, enjoy the ride. And lo and behold, I got to my 30s and it made a little bit more sense, but um, I did come into my own. And that was the main thing that I really took from that. And I tell others that now, so yeah. Beautiful advice. And um, the final question now, we're ramping up to a bit of Shakespeare, but just before we get there, and that's going to be about legacy and uh, how you'd most like to be remembered, but th this is now the pass the golden baton moment, please. So who in your network do you think would most appreciate being given a damn good listening to in this way? Uh, my good friend, Stella, Stella Taliadorus. She is an amazing human being. Uh, again, someone who I have great conversations with. She opened up a coffee shop in East London, Walthamstow, 
uh, called Winwood about eight years ago. And her thing with her family is community and which is so important. I think we forget the importance of that in this world that is becoming a little bit more isolated, but she really advocates for community and putting on events and creating spaces where people can feel heard and seen. She also has another building now called 12th House, which is like a spiritual and holistic health space. She, I think she studied like psychology or anthropology and stuff. And just, she's a very interesting mind. And I love speaking with people who firstly think because thinking is important, but also offer perspectives that challenge my own and that I can, you know, have a really great kind of space of, um, call it intellectual sparring with. I know at the moment she's into like studying psychology again, I think, and counseling, and she's a real people's person, but she does it. She inspired me to really get into doing the business side of music more than, um, just kind of talking about it. So she starts, she knows how to start up companies and businesses and gets ideas going and works with council and does things independently, starts up magazines. Like she's just everywhere. She's like, she's a bit of a polymath. And I she's really ubiquitous, her. as they say. <laughs> yeah. I respect her decisions to move forward and just do it rather than talk about it. So that's what I love about her. And I think it should be great for this. And just give me her name one more time Stella. Stella Taliodorus. Taliodorus, what a great name. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to give me a, furnish me with a warm introduction. She's already said yes, apparently, you've said, so that's all wonderful. Um, I forgot to ask you, what's the, um, what notes, help or advice might you proffer to a younger version of yourself? I would say be kind to yourself. Because I was very hard on myself when I was younger, really trying to make it work and make it happen. I would say be kind to yourself. Um, Practice regularly and trust your instincts. And now, inspired by Shakespeare, and this, by the way, is a real um, beautiful, authentic. This, I went to drama school in circa 1986 to 88, and this was the actual book of the complete works of Shakespeare. So it's just a nice comedy prop that I put into the theatre show now. So um, inspired by uh, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players, this is about legacy. How, when all is said and done, Ronell Shaw, would you most like to be remembered? by reflecting the culture at the time, I think I'd prefer my work to be remembered more so than myself because I'm just a vessel translating what I've been taught. So I would like to be remembered, if remembered at all, for reflecting the culture. And hopefully that inspires people to do it even better. Beautiful. As this has been your moment in the sunshine, in fact, just before I get there, sorry, that was a really well, good question, well-crafted, but where can we find out more about you on the internet? Where do we go to look for Ronell Shaw in all things that you're up to? Uh, um, RonellShaw.com, R-E-N-E-L-L-S-H-A-W.com. Everything's there. I have an Instagram, I kind of use it, but I'm, I just thought a website, it's easy to connect with me, to contact me, and my Instagram is the same name, so. That's where you can find me. Lovely. And as this has been your moment in the sunshine in the good listening to show stories of distinction and genius, is there anything else, Ronell Shaw, you'd like to say? Yeah, man. Um, life is a wave. Um, it's a lot of waves. So ride the wave, don't fight the wave. So ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the 
glorious Ronell Shaw, and uh, thank you so much for being here in the Good Listening To show. Tune in next time for more stories from the clearing. And uh, good night. You've been listening to the Good Listening To show here on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. Oh, it's my son. If you've enjoyed the show, then please do tune in next week to listen to more stories from The Clearing. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do so. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the show, too. You can contact me about the programme, or if you'd be interested in experiencing some personal impact coaching with me, care of my Level Up Your Impact programme, that's chris at secondcurve.uk. On Twitter and Instagram, it's... At that Chris Grimes. So until next time, from me, Chris Grimes, from UK Health Radio, and from Stan... To your good health. And goodbye. So, Renelle, you've just been given a good listening to in the good listening to show Stories of Distinction and Genius. Can I just ask for your immediate feedback as to what that was like being given a listening to in this format? I loved it because it was creative. I loved that I was able to um, respond in a way that was very uh, familiar to my environment of working. And I will definitely be taking a few nuggets from that and paving it forward into how I interact with other creatives. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. And also, thank you so much for agreeing to let me have some music. I feel it's such a gift. Um, There is the opportunity, if you want, because of the rules of three, about all good communication happening in threes. Is there a third piece of music that you might also want to provide as well? Yeah. Yes, there is. Um, I think I'd like to provide a part of the vision they had, which is the piece that won the IFA. Um, because it's got conversations with my grandparents on it. It's the piece that really shifted how the world of composition saw me. And I think it's pretty cool. So, yeah. That's the vision they had. And I would encourage everyone to look at that. There is a lovely YouTube film of that too. And that indeed is part of the suite that won you the Ivor Novello Award. So here it comes to play this episode out finally, The Vision They Had, the composition by Renell Shaw, the one jazz composition best ensemble for the Ivor Novello Award. Here it comes. Most people who came here during that time, they, 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 they had a plan because they were traveled before, some, some of us, you know. But you see the people who've been here and back and you listen to what they're saying, some rubbish and some half make sense and you know because people go on and on and on and you don't get to go get to the root of the truth so most people like myself so i think i'll spend a couple of years and go back you know but the vision you had come here and spend a few years you wanted to work to make some good money that we think was available in the workplace but it was not. The wages were still puny, and it, I think from the treasury point of view, even today they work it out. Labor. How much you get for how much per hour for a laborer? How much you get for a semi-skilled? How much you get for a top-skilled man? And that still exists today. And and if you have a family, they got to eat. The money's coming out quicker than it's coming in. Oh yes, precisely.
the history pass is so quick that some of the things you don't even remember, man. See, and the younger generation need to know these things because you have people taking the piss out of you. Think more or less you just come to beg, you know? Don't realize that you've been working and you've been working for pittance, really, all the years because you never get a top job. Top job, top job, top job, top job. Me not travel, no. We prefer the flying. 
Yes, I hear you. Yeah, man.